Good morning. Well, it's been mentioned already, but uh, let me take this opportunity to welcome any guests that we have with us here this morning. If it's your first time at Fellowship, we'd love to connect with you, and we'd love to see you take advantage of some of the opportunities that we have to connect here at Fellowship. Uh, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship Church, and for those of you who are newer to the church, you probably only know me as Pastor Tim. But when I began serving on staff here at Fellowship Church, I came onto staff to serve in a role known as the Director of Church Administration back in November 2012. And that was a role that involved a lot of behind-the-scenes tasks. There was a lot of behind-the-scenes aspects uh, to our services and ministries that that role was involved in. And so it was a very busy role, and one of the busiest times of the year for a church and for Fellowship Church is Easter, the Easter season. And our celebration of the resurrection is a very special time. We have a kids' outreach event. We have two incredible services with Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. And so these services required a lot of uh, organization, a lot of teams of people serving, special setups, working out logistics. And there was just a lot that was happening behind the scenes. And so I was ready for my first Easter at Fellowship Church in 2013. And two weeks before Easter, as we were preparing for the kids' Easter celebration, I became violently ill. Now, I'll spare you the details of that. But I was so sick that I had to be rushed to the hospital. That's me in the hospital. That's actually when I was recovering, feeling a little bit better. But an emergency surgery was required for me. And I was so disappointed. I was, I was frustrated. There was so much to do at the church. Setups, teardowns, phone calls, ordering supplies... The church needed me, I thought. And I was embarrassed that someone else would have to pick up my slack. A few days later, I came home, and I was ready for Easter, but I had come home too early. I hadn't fully recovered. And two days later, after I was discharged, I was admitted back to the hospital. I was defeated. I was depressed. I would have to miss the entire Easter weekend. My first Easter at Fellowship missed the whole thing. I couldn't understand why God would allow that to happen to me, why I would have to go through that suffering. And I remember Pastor Mark coming to visit me during my time in the hospital and suggesting that maybe the reason that I was going through this suffering was spiritual. And in the coming days, I would spend time in prayer. I would meditate on Scripture. And God helped me to realize that he was using my suffering as discipline. There were truths about God that I needed to be reminded of. There were misconceptions that I had about my relationship with God that needed correction. There was sin in my life that I needed to confess. God brought me through that time of suffering, that time of disappointment and frustration in order to discipline me. And that's what God does in our suffering. Whether we're suffering for good or for evil, No matter if we suffer physically, emotionally, God has a purpose in our suffering and he's using it to discipline us, to train us in righteousness. So suffering as discipline is the perspective that we will take today as we look at Hebrews chapter 12. The book of Hebrews was written to believers who had been converted to Judaism or from Judaism to Christianity, but they were now facing persecution 
for having left Judaism. They are suffering. They're being imprisoned. They're being publicly humiliated. They're being physically abused. Family members are disowning them. Their property is being taken away from them. And so as we continue this study of suffering, we can see that this book is very applicable, very fitting to address many of the types of suffering that we face. Now the challenge was that even though the readers of Hebrews had been Christians for a long time, Christ followers for many years, they were not as spiritually mature as they ought to be. So because of the immaturity of their faith, they were at risk for abandoning the gathering of believers, forsaking the assembly within the local church, or even worse, renouncing their faith in Christ and returning to Judaism. So the writer of Hebrews wants them to see that even though there are circumstances in their lives that cause suffering, rather than trying to avoid them, to choose a life of safety and comfort, they should realize that Christ is the fulfillment of all of those good things that they long for, and he was superior to the old covenant institutions that Judaism had subscribed to. He wants them to see that compared to the angels who served as ministers to God's people, compared to Moses who led God's people out of bondage, compared to the sacrifices that atoned for sins, compared to the promised land and the rest and relief that was offered there, the rest and relief which they longed for in their suffering, Christ was greater. Christ was greater than all of those things. And in chapter 11 of Hebrews, he he goes through the list of all of the Old Testament saints who had faith in God's promises, even though they did not receive those promises. They were mistreated, he says. They were reproached, threatened with the sword, tortured, mocked, put in chains, stoned, sawn in two, wandered through the deserts. These things they endured, but they endured by faith, even though they never saw what was promised to them. But they endured since God would provide something better for them than what was promised in Christ. He is the one who would bring all of those promises to completion. And because of Christ, we can now enjoy the promises of God. There is something better than this life that is promised to us in Christ. And because of that, amen, we can endure suffering. We can see our sufferings as something that God is using for our good to discipline us in order to prepare us for the promises that we are guaranteed in Christ. So we will look at Hebrews 12 today with that point of view to see suffering as discipline. This section begins with a word of encouragement from the author, verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. We see again, as we have seen in other texts in Scripture, that Christ is our example. Consider him. Look to him as your example. Consider him as, as the Old Testament saints considered what was beyond their suffering. Looking beyond our suffering to Christ, who endured such hostility against himself, 
He endured suffering from sinners at his own expense for their sake. And throughout this this series, we've acknowledged that in our suffering, we are to look to Christ. And we are to remain focused on him. Why do we do that? The author tells us here, so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. What that means is, so we can find strength in Christ. Look to Christ's example for strength in your suffering. He patiently endured and persevered so that we might have victory in him. And now because of him, we are more than conquerors. So we do not need to grow weary or retreat or have self-pity or feel like we don't have what it takes because he is to be our strength in our suffering. Be encouraged. Be strengthened. Be built up in the Lord within your suffering. We also see that Christ's example helps to put things in perspective for us. Verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. The readers of Hebrews, they were intimidated to deny Christ. Physical threats. Being ostracized. But none of them struggled like him. None of them suffered the way that he had suffered. None of us have been called by God to endure what Christ has. None of us have or will ever have to suffer the way that Christ did. Meditating on Christ in the midst of suffering, that should help put things in perspective for us. His battle against sin went to the point of shedding his own blood in order to conquer sin. His blood saved us from the wrath of God against sinners. His blood saved us from the ultimate suffering. How can that not encourage us in our own suffering? In your suffering, don't become hopeless, but be encouraged because of what Christ endured on your behalf. Meditating on his suffering will help to keep things in perspective. Now, part of the encouragement in suffering that we see here is the reminder that God uses our suffering to discipline us. And the author of Hebrews quotes Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12, and verses 5 and 6. He says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. The author uses this word discipline nine times here in this passage. Discipline can be defined as education, instruction, cultivation and improvement, and due submission to authority. We also see the word chastise used here in verse 6. God chastises every son whom he receives. Chastisement means instruction and education by means of correction through severe discipline. 
Some translations might even use the word scourge. The primary meaning of that word is to whip severely. It is severe, and it is done with the purpose of correction. This type of discipline is being attributed to God. So God uses suffering. He uses trials, hardship, affliction as a means of discipline for us. But despite the language that is used here, we should never see suffering in this life as God's judgment or punishment of us. There's a great difference between God's discipline and God's judgmental punishment. For those who have been saved by grace, our sins will not be counted against us. Because of Christ, we will never experience God's judgment for sin. Perspective. Yes, we deserve God's wrath because of our sin. But we don't have to face that wrath because of Christ. There is no longer any condemnation. There is no punishment for those who trust in him. Now, that does not mean that there are not consequences for our sins. That does not mean that others won't sin against us and cause our suffering. It does not mean that God will overlook any sin that hinders our spiritual growth. But what the enemy means for evil, God uses for good. So God uses our suffering as a means of growth for us. And that growth comes by way of discipline. We endure suffering because there is something that God wants to correct in us. So to help us see what that might be, let's look at three purposes of discipline found in Scripture. We won't spend a lot of time there. There's just a couple passages that we want to do a quick overview of because it's worth looking at this so that we have a frame of reference to help us to better understand God's disciplinary purposes in our suffering. One purpose of discipline is retribution for sin. Now, again, this is not punishment or payback for sin. You consider the church of Corinth. This is a very worldly-minded congregation of believers. Among many of the sinful activities that are recorded in the book of 1 Corinthians, one of the things that they did that was displeasing to God was abusing the Lord's table. They used it as an excuse for partying and getting drunk. And because of their sinfulness, Scripture says that they suffered weakness, sickness, and even death. Paul tells us that they were being disciplined by the Lord that he might correct them. Another purpose of God's discipline is prevention of sin. Discipline as a means of prevention can be seen in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We looked at this passage a couple of weeks ago. God allowed a messenger of Satan to be a thorn in Paul's flesh. We see that God allowed this to happen to Paul as a means of discipline to prevent him from falling into the sin of pride. Paul did not enjoy that suffering, but because of God's sustaining grace in that suffering, Paul thanked the Lord, and he recognized that his suffering was being used by God to discipline him, to make him more like Christ. We also see that God uses discipline for education 
to teach us. In Deuteronomy 8, God tells his people that he allowed them to suffer. This was done, according to that passage, to discipline them. They wandered 40 years in the wilderness, and God allowed them, he says, to hunger so that they might learn humility and dependence on God alone. So we see that God's purpose in allowing suffering is not to grieve us or to make our life harder, but to discipline us, to improve us, to correct something in us that is not in line with his standards, to bring us to a point of worship, to have a reverence and awe of who he is. So considering those purposes for discipline, let's continue through this passage as the author presents us with the explanation for disciplining. We see the purposes of God's discipline. So now we're going to look at the reason. What is the reason that God takes this approach to transform us? Why would God use discipline as a means of growth in our lives? Verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? In this explanation, the author gives the reason that God disciplines us. We are his children. The word that's used here for discipline in the Greek refers to the training up or the nurturing of children. All who confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are adopted as God's sons. Born-again believers are God's children, and he is our father. God's discipline proves that we are his children. It is for discipline that we have to endure. It is imperative that we endure suffering because we are God's children. By allowing us to suffer for the sake of discipline, he is acknowledging that you belong to his family. Verse 8 says, If you are left without discipline, in which you have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Picture this scenario. You're pushing the shopping cart through the grocery store. You're at Wise or Garrity's. You're there to pick up some of the essentials. right? You've got your detergent. You've got your shampoo. You've got your produce. Now you're in the breakfast aisle. Last stop. And as you're walking to the section of shelves where the item that you need to get is, there's a mother that's passing by you and she has a a child with her. Now you've seen them already once in the store. He was sitting in the, the seat in the cart, but obviously he became restless and wanted to walk alongside mom, so she took him out of the, the seat and allowed him to walk with her. And as they're passing you, you give them the obligatory smile and nod, and you hear the child ask mommy for that cereal, the colorful one with the cartoon animal on the box. And the mom, who's clearly been in the situation before, replies to her son, lovingly yet firmly, no. Maybe she gives an explanation. 
What happens next? The child falls to the floor, limbs flailing, screaming at the top of their lungs, face red. Mom's embarrassed. What do you think to yourself? If that were my kid, but he's not your kid. He's not yours to discipline. So you say a prayer for the mom, you grab your oatmeal, and you head for checkout. <laughs> now, if it were your kid, it's a completely different scenario, right? Completely different. We like to think that. At the very least, you're telling that kid, you just wait till we get home. There's a difference when it's your own child. The expectation is that the rightful parent is obligated to discipline their child. God's discipline proves that we are his children. To be spared discipline does not prove God's love. We like to think that if God loves us, then he would not allow suffering to take place in our lives. But if God is a loving father, and a loving father disciplines their children, then our suffering actually proves that we belong to him, and that he does love us. God's discipline proves his love. The Lord disciplines the one whom he loves. Maybe this sounds familiar. There's a parent and a child in a situation of discipline. Maybe you've been in the situation as a parent. Maybe you've been in the situation as a child. <laughs> the child was just grounded, maybe. Or they've been given a curfew. Or maybe a tap on the backside or on the hand. Or maybe they didn't do something wrong. Maybe they've just been asked to complete a chore, to take out the trash, to take some time away from the screen. And the parent asks the child to, to do these things. And the child looks at the parent and eyebrows go like this. What do they say? You don't love me. And what do we as parents say? Or what have our parents said to us? If I didn't love you, I wouldn't ask you to do that thing. I wouldn't discipline you. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't do this. If I didn't love you, I would just let you do whatever you wanted to do. But I discipline you because I love you. The parent wants the child to conform to the highest standards. They want them to learn a valuable lesson. They want them to make better choices. So they discipline because they love. A truly loving father will be committed to disciplining his children. A parent who lets their child do whatever they want doesn't care. So this, this comparison to earthly fathers and the Father of God is, is how the author of Hebrews presents God's discipline to us. And we should all be able to relate to that. Verse 9, besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us, and what? We respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? 
We all have earthly fathers. Now, I recognize that there are different dynamics that exist within the relationships that we have or have had with our fathers. But generally speaking, and looking at Scripture, the role of the father is to discipline their children. That's what Scripture commands. Likewise, Scripture says that children are to obey their parents. It's one of the Ten Commandments. God takes it seriously. And if a parent is faithfully fulfilling their role according to Scripture, then they will have a desire for their child's well-being. And they will discipline them. And if a child is properly fulfilling their role, they will honor their parents' instruction. Our earthly fathers only discipline us for a short time, it says, and as they see best. Meaning, parents don't always discipline in a way that is perfect, in a way that is right. It's according to their perspective, what what they think is best. Sometimes parents will discipline out of anger. Sometimes parents will discipline out of convenience. Go to your room. Why? Because I don't feel like dealing with you right now. I don't feel like being a parent right now. But regardless of the motive behind the discipline, a child will obey. A child will submit to their parents' authority. How much more, the writer asks, should we be subject to God's discipline if he is good and he is perfect? And we are his children, not for a short time, but for all eternity. And God, the Father, is more loving than any earthly parent. How much more should we submit to his discipline? Even more so. So how then do we respond? When we consider, again, the purposes of God's discipline, and the reason that God disciplines us is because we are his children, how do we then respond to suffering as God's discipline in a way that honors his authority? Ultimately, we either accept his discipline or we reject it. So let's look first at the wrong response, the rejection of God's authority. How can, how can we reject God's discipline? Looking at verse 3 and in verse 5, it, it tells us that we reject God's discipline when we grow weary. Does your suffering cause you to just give up? To give up trusting God, you become hopeless. You lack faith, unable to see beyond the suffering. And the suffering just becomes your identity and you allow it to consume you because you're so tired of suffering. The readers of the book of Hebrews would have felt this way. They just wanted rest. They wanted the promised land. They were growing weary. They were ready to give up. Do not reject God's discipline by growing weary. Another way that we reject God's discipline is when we take God's discipline too lightly. Verse 5, we take 
lightly or we disregard God's discipline in our suffering. When we focus so much on the suffering, we give so much weight to the suffering that God's role in it becomes insignificant to us. Think about scales. You're putting so much weight on the suffering that God's, God's role, God's discipline is not as heavy in your mind. It's not as important in your mind. You're taking it lightly. So you become angry. You think it's not fair. And our relief from the suffering becomes more important to us than God's role in it. We don't care what God is doing in the suffering. We just want to get through it. We take God's discipline lightly when we disregard God and his disciplinary purposes in our suffering. Why do we respond this way to God's discipline in our suffering? When we respond these ways, when we become hopeless in our suffering, or when we take his discipline lightly, it is because we have forgotten God's word. That's why the the writer of Hebrews asks the question here in verse 5, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? When we abandon the word, we are setting ourselves up to reject God's discipline in our lives. To ignore his role as our father. When we're failing to spend time in the word, to understand God's character, learning how to trust him, we will allow our faith to become weak. We will eventually be unable or unwilling to acknowledge God's role in our suffering, to acknowledge that he is disciplining us for our good. The word teaches us that God is present in our suffering, and that he has a good purpose for it, to discipline us. Considering, again, the Israelites in Deuteronomy 8, verse 5, it says, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. The passage continues, verse 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Verse 19 says, And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Our suffering will destroy us if we fail to acknowledge the Father's role in it. That is why we are preaching through a series about suffering, so that regardless of the trial that you're going through or will go through, you will be encouraged and you will have the confidence in God and in his word in the midst of trials and suffering. So God's word tells us how to respond correctly to suffering as God's discipline. The right response, again, is to accept his discipline. If we accept God's discipline in our suffering, here is how the text tells us that we demonstrate that. First, it says that we are to endure suffering. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. 
God is treating you as sons. The word endure means to suffer without resistance, without yielding. We don't break under the pressure, but we stand firm in our suffering in the strength of the Lord. Knowing and trusting that the suffering that we're going through is something that God is using to discipline you, to do an eternal work in you. So we can and we must endure suffering for the sake of discipline. And we do so again by looking to Christ's example. The other way that we demonstrate acceptance of God's discipline is by respecting his authority. Verse 9, besides this, you have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. This word used here for respect literally means to humble oneself. When a son or daughter recognizes that their parents' discipline is for their good, no matter how uncomfortable or inconvenient it may be, they respect that discipline. And when a parent disciplines us, when a parent disciplines their child, and it's not for the right reasons, it's what the parent feels like is good for them in the moment, the child still respects and submits to that discipline because that's their parent. They humble themselves, and they put away the tablet, they take out the trash, they respond positively and obey their parents' instruction. They, they submit to their parents' discipline. When God disciplines us, we are to submit to his authority. We are to acknowledge that it is for our good. And even more than we would humble ourselves and faithfully obey the discipline of earthly parents, we must humble ourselves and be subject to the discipline of God the Father. Humble yourself, gratefully accepting God's discipline and acknowledging that God is using this suffering in your life for good. And so what is the result of our suffering as discipline? What good is God disciplining us for? What is there beyond the suffering? Looking again at verse 9, we see that if we subject ourselves to the Father's discipline, we will live. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? The meaning is that if we humble ourselves and we submit to God's discipline in our suffering, it will produce a life worthy of his name. We have been given a new life in Christ. We have been made righteous. And through discipline, God is giving us the opportunity to live according to that standard, to live according to the life that he redeemed us for. Under the old covenant that the readers of Hebrews long to return to, a son who was totally rebellious to his parents would no longer be disciplined. He would be stoned to death. Continuing to reject God's discipline can lead to death. 
it may result in physical death as it did for some of the Corinthians. There is a sin that leads to death. Rebellion against God can cost you your life. Again, in Deuteronomy, if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. God wants us to have life abundant. That does not mean freedom from suffering. It means freedom from sin in Christ. To know and experience his love, to be transformed into his likeness, to experience a greater appreciation for the new life that he has given you. And he will do that in and through our suffering. So we also see that accepting God's discipline produces holiness. Our earthly fathers are imperfect, fallible men who sometimes discipline in a way that seems right to them. Again, sometimes out of anger, sometimes out of laziness. Parents are not always the most perfect disciplinarians. Teens take that with a grain of salt. But God the Father, who is perfect, with infinite wisdom, disciplines us by allowing us to suffer for our good so that we may share in his holiness. God wants to purify us from sin. He wants us to be holy as he is holy. He is transforming us into the image of Christ, and he does that through discipline. It's not an enjoyable process. It can be painful. The writer here in verse 11, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, acknowledges that all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. God himself acknowledges discipline seems painful. A couple of years ago, my family celebrated our oldest son's birthday party at uh, Sky Zone Trampoline Park. Along with our three other children at the time, we had invited many of his friends and some of their friends there. My wife Ashley was nine months pregnant at the time with our fifth child, Charlie, and our birthday uh, room was up on the second floor, so we had to take stairs to get there. It was during that party that I broke my ankle. Now, I signed the waiver. It's my fault, Jeff. (laughs) But part of the recovery that I had to go through was physical therapy. Now, many of you have maybe had to go through physical therapy for various reasons. And if you have, you know that it's not easy. It requires discipline, regular appointments, additional exercises, flexing joints and muscles that we aren't mentally ready to use. It involves pain, but we go through it because we know that the end result is worth the pain. God's discipline may seem painful, but it is his way in training us in righteousness. And the end result outweighs the pain. That is what the author of Hebrews is telling us. When we experience God's discipline, 
it can seem painful. But if it was not, it would have no corrective power. We need to be disciplined. God uses it to build our faith and our character and to produce righteousness in us. Billy Graham once said, Mountaintops are for views and inspiration, but fruit is grown in the valleys. God is producing the peaceful fruit of righteousness in the valleys, in our suffering. Consider the apple tree. Apples are one of the most ubiquitous fruits in the United States. That's why we say it's as American as apple pie. But it can take up to eight years from the time that it is planted for the apple tree to produce any fruit. It takes years of controlling insects, fertilizing, pruning in the cold winter months before the tree can produce any fruit. It requires discipline to be applied to that tree. Now, we don't consider that when we eat an apple. We just enjoy the fruit. But it can be a harsh process for the tree to produce that fruit. For a moment, all discipline seems painful. But the result is fruit. Peaceful fruit. The peace that comes from trusting God with all your heart in and through your suffering. The readers of Hebrews, they wanted to go back to the old way of life. They were so focused on their momentary affliction that they just wanted relief from it. They wanted the old covenant promises of of rest. Yet they already had access to something greater in Christ. They had peace with God through him. They had a greater rest in Christ. And if we are to know that rest more fully, we must be prepared to be transformed into the likeness of God's Son through discipline. So if we are his sons and his daughters, we must accept God's discipline in our suffering in order to be made like his Son who suffered for us. Can you look with eyes of faith beyond your suffering today? Can you consider how God may be working to discipline you to prepare you for something greater than the suffering? Your suffering is not something that God is going to waste. He is using it to discipline you, to give you life, to make you holy as he is holy. Ask God what he is wanting to correct in you through your suffering. Is there a sin that you need to repent of? Is there an idol in your life that he wants you to get rid of? Maybe he's disciplining you to prevent you from falling into sin. Maybe there's something that you need to learn about the character of God that he's trying to teach you. Whatever it may be, God wants to use your suffering to transform you. Humble yourself before God's authority. Accept the discipline from the Father. He is allowing you to suffer so that you may be transformed. 
trust that it is for your good because you are his child and he loves you. Let's pray. God, you are our Father. You are our Redeemer. You love us. You redeemed us by the blood of Christ so that we could be adopted as your sons and daughters. That we might have an inheritance that is imperishable. That we might enjoy you in your presence forever. And in this life, you want to make us holy. You want to sanctify us. Help us, Lord, to accept the discipline as we go through that process. Help us to see with eyes of faith that our suffering is only momentary and you are using it to do an eternal work in us, to prepare us for that eternity. You have made us righteous, and you are making us righteous through the discipline. Help us to see that you love us, that you are doing this for our good, because you love us, because you are a good father. In Christ's name, amen.